to an end this year, Jenny's summer break. Uh, we appreciate, uh, you know, her time off. Woo. And I try to take most of my vacation while she's off. And it was uh, the last week that she was off. And that last weekend we were in Pittsburgh. Interesting city. Um, I may have mentioned this to you before. <coughs> when we are vacationing in a lot of places and we we drive around a lot and, you know, we go and we look and we, we see the city. And um, as we're leaving and driving, a lot of times we'll look at each other and we'll say, I could live here. Um, no offense to you guys from Pennsylvania. We love you. But uh, we were leaving Pittsburgh and Ginny said, you know how we often leave and we say, I could live here? I said, yeah. She said, not this time. I said, yeah, me neither. Um, Only because of this, uh, the density there is just a bit overwhelming. The the houses are literally on top of each other. They go up the side of a hill, and uh, some of them don't even have roads. They just have sidewalks that go up, which they had to give street names to because they had to deliver mail to these. Um, so they, they warned us um, after the fact that we already had a room, fortunately, in a hotel downtown. But they warned us. They said, so you want to be careful if you get a bed and breakfast in Pittsburgh because it will have a, an address, a street address, and you'll find yourself parking down at the bottom of the hill and toting all your luggage up, possibly several flights of stairs to get to the house, which might be the third one up the row um, there. So anyway... Uh, that's got really nothing to do with what we're hitting here, but um, except that we were in Pittsburgh, because while we were there, one morning, uh, as we were in Pittsburgh, uh, before we started roaming the city, I opened up um, to the opening paragraphs of John's Gospel. And as I was reading through that, I was just struck once again um, with just some of what's there. And that is really the uh, random thoughts for today. Um, That's where it came from. As I was reading in that hotel room in Pittsburgh, uh, and was just struck once again by the beginning of John's Gospel, um, and then studying through it uh, this week, too, was a good thing. So let's pray, and we're going to get into that Gospel. Father, thank you for your grace and your word. Wow, what a cool reality is opened up to us when we delve into your word when we grasp more and more what you say and your truth and your reality. So help us to do that this morning, that this would be a time in which we connect with you, in which you are the one who is not only lifted up, but followed, adored, worshipped, bowed before. Whatever is necessary in our life, um, continue to do that through the power and strength of your word and your spirit working within us. So touch us we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 1, page 975 in the Pew Bible. <coughs> and uh, Matthew and Luke's Gospels give us uh, the record of Jesus' birth in a way that we're more used to hearing. This is John's um, record of Jesus' birth. But, you know, we're used to more used to hearing Matthew and Luke's account where, you know, the angel appears to Mary, the angel's appear to Zechariah, the angels appear to Joseph, then they travel to Bethlehem, there's no rooms available, so Jesus was born in a barn, 
and uh, placed in a manger. Uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds visit Jerusalem. And then later the wise men come to visit uh, Jesus. And then everybody gets a candy cane and they go home and open presents. Part of that was made up. This is John's account of Jesus' birth. And what got my attention as I was reading through this in that hotel room, what got my attention there was how many things were true then and are still true now and will be true forever. The reality of who Christ is more and more unfolded. I'll follow along. I'm going to begin with verse 1. We're eventually going to get all the way through to verse 14 is my plan. Um, and again, we're going to do that in smaller sections. But beginning with verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now, when this, when this, when this gospel begins, it, it echoes the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice what's there. In the beginning, God. The Bible never tries to explain to us where God came from. The Bible reveals to us that God existed. In the beginning, which beginning? Any beginning you care to choose. God was already there. The eternality of God is revealed in the opening words uh, of, of the Bible. And here in, in uh, John's gospel, uh, you know, we see where it says, in the beginning was the word. He was there. He was already there in the beginning. It's in the beginning God and in the beginning was the word. John begins to reveal to us here the deity of Christ. And he begins to, the very opening words of his gospel begin to unfold the reality of who Christ is. And it says that he was in the beginning, you know, in the beginning was the word. He was there then. He was already there then. He already existed in the beginning and again, any beginning, every beginning, any beginning you want to choose, the Word was already there. God was always there, and the Word was always there. There was no time when He didn't exist. Now, that's, very, that's clearly stated in verse 2. Look at your Bible, verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. He was with Him. He was already there. There was no time in which God didn't exist. There was no time in which the Word didn't, didn't exist because He's revealing to us, He's revealing to us more and more uh, the, the deity, the reality of who Christ is. You know, he's, he's not made, He's not created, He's not born, He has always been. He is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Yeah, he, was, he was always there. There wasn't a time in which he did not exist. It says, you know, in the beginning was the word. Now, the word is, is in many places in Scripture, um, it's a title for Christ. Uh, uh, the Logos, the, 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 um, is the communication of God and the reality of God. You see that in verse 14. We're not there yet, but, you know, it's, uh, you can peek down at it if you want. You know, the, the whole thing, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, you know, he was there. He, you know, God himself was there. Now, notice it says he was with God, distinct from God. 
You know, he was distinct from God the Father. He was with him, but it says he also was God. You know, he was God. He was one with the Father. Not not another God, but he was there as God himself. Distinct persons, yet one God. This is hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around, but this is what he's telling us. So this is part of what he's showing us here. Distinct persons, yet one God. They're separate, yet one. You know, his essence, the essence, the being, the very nature is one God. The essence, the, be, the very being, the, the nature of the word was the same as God. Why? Because it is God. It says, you know, he, the word, was the creator of all things. Notice what it says in verse 3. Apart from him, not one thing was created. He is the creator. There is nothing that was created that, you know, that, that doesn't trace its origins to him. To him, if you want to trace down the origins of everything, there it is. You know, not one thing, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. All things, oh, their, uh, all things were created by him, and they owe their existence to him. A creator has to exist before the creation. That's just a scientific reality. If you want to follow the science, if you're a follow the science person, and I'm not making, I'm not mocking that at all. What I'm saying is, is think through it properly. You know, think through it properly. To have a creation, there has to be a creator. The creator has to exist before the creation. Whatever exists first is the creator. It has to exist. You know, it has to exist before before the creation does. It tells us that He's the source and giver of life. Life comes from Him. That's what it says, verse four. Life was in Him. He is that source of life. He's the giver of life. It comes from Him. Life comes from life, not from non-life. Do you understand that? Life comes from life. It doesn't come from down, from, from non-life. This is, this is one of the major downfalls of any theory, uh, 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 you know, of where we came from, which excludes God. Dirt does not produce life apart from an intervention of God. It says that man was formed from the dust of the earth how what by a by a move and an act of god not only does dirt not start life it has a hard time keeping it going i you know my stinking yard there's a lot of dirt out there and i'm having a hard time getting life getting grass to grow and things you know uh, but you see, even that grass only grows if I put something there that has life within it. Life came from him. Life was in him, it tells us. Somewhere, you know, somewhere in the line, life has to come from life. From somewhere in that line, you know, uh, somewhere there had to be one with eternal life in order to start it all 
Life comes from life. It says that life was the light of men and that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Light always defeats darkness. It always defeats darkness. Even when I'm walking through the when I'm walking through the sanctuary at night, sometimes I stay late and it's dark out. And dark out means dark in. Um, you know, unless you turn the light on. Dark out. And sometimes, you know, what I'll do um, when I'm when I know I'm going to be here late, um, sometimes I'll turn these lights on up here because um, then when I come out of my office, I, I've walked into the pews before. Let me tell you, uh, you want a good kick in the shins? Uh, uh, that, that'll that uh, they're pretty much an immovable object. I don't care how fast your legs are moving. In fact, the faster your legs are moving, the more you're going to realize the reality of an immovable object. Um, yeah. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll just I'll just pull my phone out and and you know and I'll just I just click it like that. And it helps me not to hit that little bit of light. Light always wins over darkness. It always does. You know, and it says, you know, that, that, that life was the light of men. Now, later, John records Jesus telling us that he's the light of the world. In John chapter 8, Jesus then spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. And that whole phrase, I am, to them, hearkened back to what? God. Who said, when Moses says, what in the world? Why would these people ever believe me? <coughs> what am I going to say to them? says, you tell them that I am sent you. And this harkens back to that when he says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. When we walk with him, he brings light into, that, into life, you know. In his first letter, uh, John writes that God is light. He says, now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And he talks about walking in the light throughout the epistle, uh, throughout that, that first epistle of John, you know, and even here in the gospel, John contrasts light and, and darkness, you know, light for light uh, and darkness, that, that, that battle of good and evil and he, the unrighteousness and righteousness. And he contrasts those. And in him was light. You know, he is that light and he brings that light. He brings that life. He brings that righteousness. He brings that good. Because he's God. Verse 6. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Uh, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives it light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, John, the author of the gospel, wrote as an eyewitness. The John it's talking about here, John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. Where you see him mention John here, he's referring to John the Baptist and John the Baptist's ministry. But John the Apostle wrote as an eyewitness to all that Jesus said and did. And, you know, he very clearly states, you know, that that goal that others would come to know and have a relationship with Christ. 
and he writes that here, but also at the near the end of uh, end of his book, he writes it here in the beginning, but also in the end of his book in John chapter 20, it says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written, he said, for a specific reason, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. The life comes by that belief. The life comes by that relationship. And here in in verses 6 through 8 in the gospel, you know, he's talking about John the Baptist coming as a witness, uh, mainly that forerunner to prepare the way to point people to Jesus. Luke tells us about it. He he talks there. (coughs) He says, John's word. (coughs) No, it isn't. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As was written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Because John, the man named John sent from God came as that forerunner, mainly you know, that, that, to prepare the way and point people to Jesus, point people to him. Uh, verse 9, it says that he gives, you know, he gives light to everyone. Jesus is the one who gives light to everyone. Now, what he's talking about here is not that everyone is saved. That is not what he means. But that everyone has that opportunity to accept the light. Everyone has that opportunity to accept salvation. Everyone has that opportunity to come into relationship with Christ. He makes that a little more clear as we go along. Verse 10, look at what it says, verse 10. He was in the world... And the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What we have here is that whole picture of of the creator coming to his creation. The creator coming back and interacting with his creation. He created the world. He created all things. He created all people. All people did not recognize, did not accept him, did not accept the one who created all things, the one from whom all people owe their existence. And it says that he came, he came to those who, it says to his own, to those who were expecting the Messiah. He came to those who were expecting the Messiah, uh, to the the Jewish people, and he came and he entered into their society and into their culture, and it says, yet they did not accept him. Now, it's not that every single person rejected him. That's that's not at all what it means. You know, but, uh, you know, the consensus among the Jewish people against the Jewish leadership uh, was to reject him. Uh, So much so that it culminated, you know, it culminated with them demanding his crucifixion. You know, and when they were before Pilate, and again, excuse me, but I don't want to keep coughing and hacking. Um, and just a reminder, it is allergies. I again went to the doctor this week, and they were, that's still, you know, the whole deal. Anyway, so no, they came, he came to those who were expecting the Messiah, and they did not accept him to the point of crucifixion. Their sin God used for the good of those who love him and are called according to his name. You see. And it brought our salvation. Verse 12 and 13 there, it says, But to all who did receive him. Now that's explained at the end of the verse. 
to those who believe in his name. When he's talking about receiving him, he's talking about those who believe in his name to those who come into a relationship with Christ. You see, salvation is open to all people who come to him. It's open to all those who come to him for it. He tells us a little bit later in the gospel, he says, For the Father gives, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Anyone who comes to him for salvation, he's not going to turn away. Anyone who comes to him for salvation, for life, he's going to give that forgiveness to him. He's going to give life to him. He won't turn them away. Jesus doesn't turn anyone away who comes to him for salvation, who comes to him for forgiveness. There's the difference. Some don't come to Jesus for forgiveness. Some come to Jesus for the approval of their works. We mentioned a fellow that we refer to as the rich young ruler last week. When he came to Jesus, what must I do? Jesus said, you know the commandments. I've, I've done them all. He came to Jesus in the same way many do today. He came for the approval of his works, not for forgiveness. Some people today still come to, still come to God, still come to Christ, looking for the approval of their works. Some come with their own agenda. Some come with their own ideas. Again, we see this in Scripture. You know, we, we talked about these verses last week again. You know, uh, you know Lord, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. But first, first, let me go bury my father. But first, let me go say goodbye. But first, I'll follow you anywhere, Lord. But first, let me do my own thing. People still come to him today that way. They don't come for forgiveness. They come for, for an approval of their own agenda. Now we, I think, you know, for, for us, we struggle with this a little bit more. Because, you see, we are a country of people who like to claim our rights. Interesting wording in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I would disagree with some of those. But you know, do we ever get into this pursuit of happiness? I mean, don't we? We really get... We really get into this pursuit of happiness and anything or anyone that interferes with our pursuit of happiness automatically becomes our enemy. That's really a different sermon. Um, God has given us life. I will agree with that. He has given us life. You know, verse 12 tells us of a God-given right. One that I don't hear many people talking about or protesting for. Verse 12, all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name. You see, when we come to him in believing faith, to those who believe in his name, a faith that affects and directs our living 
When we come to him with that faith that, you know, we come to him for forgiveness, and then that faith that affects and directs our living. When we come, those who believe in his name. And notice what it says there. What he says is, when we come to him that way, when we come into a relationship with Christ, he gives us the right to be children of God. At that moment of salvation, you have the right to be God's child. It is yours. It is given to you by him. To be, it says, to be his, a legitimate part of his family. Someone who actually belongs. Somebody who is there on purpose, with purpose, with all the... With all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of sonship. Now again, don't get your, you know, cultural buns in an uproar here. We have the right to be children. We have the right, we we are accepted and given the right of sonship. That has nothing to do with the arguments of gender today. It has everything to do with the reality that in their culture, the son was honored and privileged above the daughters. You may be offended by that, but what I want you to understand is the reality of what he's saying. That's the reality of the culture they lived in. And what he is saying when he says that we all are granted sonship, that even the females who come to Christ are granted the rights of sonship, the privileged position. Man or woman, the difference is, the difference is what he says here, those who believe in his name. To those who believe in his name, you have the right to be, to be children of God. That privileged position of being in his family. That phrase, those who believe in his name, is explained in verse 13 there, the very next verse. Those who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. You see, he talks about being born of God. Our condition before we come to God is so dire. Our condition before we come to God is, is, is so errant. It is so much opposed to a relationship with God that nothing less than new life is needed. Nothing less than being born again. Born not of the will, not of, born, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God, born of God, <clears throat> born again. Sin, sin is not a series of bad choices that need to be paid for. You need to realize that. It is, sin is not a series of bad choices that need to be paid for. Sin is a state of being from which untold bad choices continually come. That's what sin is. It's a state of being from which uh, bad choices just continually flow. Continually roll out there. And what's needed is not simply forgiveness, but a complete remaking of the person into a new person by God's doing. 
who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is needed is a complete rebirth by God. <clears throat> we do not live in a nice world that God comes and makes nicer. We live in a world that denies the truth and replaces it with fashionable lies that the world calls truth. Now, when I say the world, understand, I'm using it in the same way John uses it in his gospel. In his gospel, when he uses the word world, he's talking about that, that, that whole society, that whole reality of being opposed to God and those who reject God. That's what John's talking about in his gospel when he talks about the world. For God so loved the world, those who were opposed to him and who objected to him and who rejected him, God loved them so much that he gave his one and only son. Why? That's so whoever believes. Gets us right back to what he's talking about here. That whosoever believes, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, but not of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. We live in a world that denies the truth. They reject God. They, they, and, you know, the truth, you know, the truth of God is to remove from our souls this condition of sin that has been refined and enhanced since Adam and Eve. We must be born again. We must be born again. Born of God. That's what he says. Born of God. Meaning born again. The discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus, uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisee who came at night to see Jesus recorded a few chapters later in John chapter 3. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. <clears throat> this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. <clears throat> For no one could perform these signs you do <clears throat> unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can someone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? Jesus answered, I assure you. Unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. It is a change that is so radical, a change that is so complete it is more than just a makeover. It is more than lipstick on a pig. Don't be offended. I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's more than that. It's a renewal to the point of being born again. An entirely new start. Paul words it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look. New things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You see, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. 
You know, there's the, there's the picture for it. When you come into a relationship with Christ, new things have come. Right then, he has given us the right to be children of God. New things come right then. You are that new creation. You are still that new creation now. And you will be that new creation forever. Verse 14, let's finish this. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Notice what it says there. The word became flesh. This is the incarnation. Incarnation means the enfleshment. Incarnation, the, 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 the incarnation of Christ. Jesus came and tabernacled. It says, you know, he came among us. He came and tabernacled with man on earth. What a great picture that is. What a great picture, you know, the, the tabernacle, a great word. God with us wherever we go. That's the picture of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was at that place that they could, that, that went with them when they traveled. That place where God lived. God himself came to live among us. That was his goal, that was his desire, what his desire from the very beginning when you read in the beginning was God and God created the heavens and the earth and it goes through and it talks about creation. And one of the unique things that you see there in that is in the garden, man and God walked in that garden together. They had that place where they spent time together in the garden. Sin came and as sin came then man was banished from God's presence because of sin. God wasn't pleased with that. He didn't want it to stay that way. So as the people wandered and as they cried out to God, he had to do what? Build this tabernacle. Why? So he could live among them once again. So he could be with them once again. And they wandered and then sin came in once again. And they got into a place where they were settled and they were settled into a land. And what did God say? Build a temple. And I will live there among you. And then sin came once again and overpowers and the temple is destroyed. But what was given before the temple was destroyed? Christ came. The word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt with us. And then he says, I won't leave you alone, but I'll come and I'll be with you and I'll give you the spirit and the spirit will be with you. you know, and we will have God himself with us and God himself in us. And Paul says, you know, when I'm absent from this body, what am I present with the Lord? And John goes and writes in, writes in, in, in Revelation, he goes, what does he write? He writes that, you know, we're going to be with God, you know, that when we are ab- absent from this body, Paul says, when we're absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. We are with him. We are together with him, just like he's always wanted. And John writes, he says, there's going to be what? A new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to dwell with God forever in that place. He wanted to be with us then. He wants to be with us now. He wants to be with us forever. The eternal creator, the giver and the source of life, is the one and only hope. This is not an inspired work of man. This is the divine work of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. 
And the word was God. Then, right now, and forever. Salvation, this new life, is God himself at work in this world. Achieving his goals, replacing the consequences of sin with life. And bringing humanity back into a relationship with himself. Then, now, and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a life that you give us. New life. Not just a remaking of the old, but that new life. Because the old was never worthy of you. And we are only made worthy through you. And by you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to dwell among us. Thank you for living with us now. Thank you for the future with you. But, Lord, it's the here and now that we need help with. It's the here and now that we need to remember the reality of who you are. The reality of what you have done. The reality of what you are doing. The reality of what yet will come. Don't let us be discouraged. Don't let us be dismayed. Help us to remember the reality of a God who loved us so much that he came. That he came to live with us. He came to live among us. And you gave your life on that cross. That you might live in us. Thank you for the renewal of life. Thank you that you are God. We pray. In your name, amen.